This podcast is brought to you by FormKeep. Form endpoints for designers and developers. No iframes, JavaScript embeds, or CSS overrides. Try out our sandbox mode before you buy at formkeep.com. Sorry, I'm just scarfing down some food really fast. As quickly as I can. This is going to make for a good episode. We're recording, right? Okay, great. Do you want to see this app? <clears throat> yeah, whoa. Can you see this screen? I can, can you see the screen? Yeah. I can see the screen, yeah. Okay, check this out. So you train it against something. You just happen to have Pokemon hanging around all times? Yes. Hold on, let me train it against this thing where I can see it. Okay. This is the show, by the way. <laughs> what the hell is it doing? What is on it? A snail? A what? teapot. A teapot. <laughs> I'm starting with a teapot. It's scary. This is like three weeks of work. Oh, <laughs> You have any idea how hard it is to augment reality? <laughs> I'm impressed. I'm impressed. You have to learn ridiculously obscure math. I think I was more impressed by the little 3D cube thing that you had, the multicolor cube thing that you posted. Well, it's the same thing. Now it's just a teapot. <laughs> okay, I'll be right back in the month. And then we'll do it. <laughs> okay. We're leaving all of this in. Hi, Derek. Hi, Sean. Want to talk about homography? Um, what'd you call me? <laughs> Obscure math is fun. All right, give us some context. What are you talking about? So uh, the process, if you're, if you're doing augmented reality, ultimately what you want is a transformation matrix that can be used to basically represent the position and rotation of the camera in 3D space relative to the thing that you're tracking, which would be considered to be the origin. Or zero zero zero. So, and then from the, once you have that, you can just do straightforward linear algebra, and, and everything's easy. But um, to do that, the standard process you go through is the first thing you need is a homography, which is an isomorphism of uh, projective spaces induced by the isomorphism of the two vector spaces from which it was derived. Obviously, obviously. Now, if you're wondering what an isomorphism is, an isomorphism is a homomorphism which admits an inverse. Of course. Obviously. Right. I mean, we're just saying this all for our listeners who aren't as familiar with this as I am. Right, of course, yeah. Anyway, and there's a bunch of different ways to get uh, homography. One's called feature detection, where you track a set of points, you extract descriptors from that, from that, including nearest neighbors, and then you look for the matching descriptors in a separate image, and then you uh, can compute the homography based on the delta between those two sets. Uh, another way is um, optical flow tracking. So rather than looking for specific key points from an origin, you just track all key points between two frames, which is faster, um, but it can be less accurate, and it doesn't necessarily work. If you, lo- if you lose track of the object, you're never going to get back. Anyway, once you have the homography, you can uh, use the, the four variables that you need to get a 3D transformation matrix to represent the camera are a homography, a set of points in 3D space, a set of points uh, in 2D space on the image, which represents where those uh, points in 3D space would live, and the intrinsic parameters of the camera, which is like the, the focal length of the lens, uh, to undistort things. And then once you have that, you can do this math problem, and you can get back this transformation matrix, and everything makes sense. That's when everything makes sense. Right, well, because then it's just straightforward linear algebra. Okay. Uh, all of our Rails developers and JavaScript developers that are listening, can you tell them why you're doing any of this? <laughs> Uh, for augmented reality. That's all you can say? That's all I can say because we're under NDA.
but it's going to be cool. Can we share some of the stuff you've shown, like the YouTube videos that you sent around? I can't imagine why not. It's just like a, a right. cube and a like, teapot. And, and one of them was like you twisting an envelope around and it was like drawing lines, which I, I assume was kind of that um, finding nearest neighbor kind of thing that you were just talking about, where it was like drawing points between two things as you twisted them in... Mm. Maybe it depends on which of those demos you're think- talking about. Because the the one where it had like the the quad that was that was just tracking the edge of the envelope. Mm-hmm. So that was an interesting demo because I could totally do that. I could probably come up with the same thing just by doing feature detection on frame by frame. But that was actually my proof of concept for correctly computing the homography. Because what I was doing was I was taking the position of the camera when I first started tracking it, and I was using the homography to transform that quad. So I wasn't actually drawing that quad based on new features. I was drawing that quad based on a transformation of the original uh, of where I think we are relative to the original reference frame. So that was a ve- one of the very earliest proof of concepts of tracking a plane over over time. Whoa. <laughs> this is all like I don't if somebody asked me to do this I'd be like I'm sorry, that's not what I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you would like to upload a picture of your cat to the internet. <laughs> I'm your man. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's funny though too because I've been going home and I've been playing this game called Kerbal Space Program, which is like semi-realistic orbital mechanics. And so the best way to get better at this game is to get better at like real orbital mechanics. So to relax after my job, which has become reading Wikipedia articles about obscure math that I don't understand, I now go home and read Wikipedia articles about obscure math that I don't understand. Sounds like um, a good time. No, it actually, like some of these videos, if hopefully i don't think it'll be a problem to post them they're totally nondescript um but we'll post links to them in the show notes which you can find at bikeshed.fm slash 16 you can also find them links to them in whatever your podcast player of choice is probably um if you can find the notes on there so what have you been working on we haven't done a normal episode in forever i know it feels weird so we did a um you know sean and i were both at RailsConf back in the end of april um we recorded a bunch of episodes with people there some really exciting people that you're going to get to hear but we also want to have our regular chats with just sean and i mixed in so um you know you've already heard the aaron patterson episode and we had dhh on which is actually after RailsConf, and then um we just aired our sarah may episode which was all of those were fantastic so yeah that was fun and you'll hear from some more exciting people as well um how was your conference experience tiring <laughs> so we were both speaking it was my first time at like a big conference. You had spoken before. Yeah, this was my second talk. Right. I don't know. It went really well. Like I, one of the things I said, and I think I said this on the last episode. So quickly, I just like one of the things I didn't anticipate was like how awesome it would feel when I was done, and how awesome like hearing that people enjoyed it would feel. So that that's been really rewarding, and I've been able to actually give that talk a couple other times already, and I'm scheduled to give it a couple more times. I gave it last night for the third or fourth time since RailsConf. And it's gotten to the point now where, like, I commented to my wife last night that I was getting kind of sick of hearing the words come out of my mouth. (laughs) So So you're not going to be submitting it to any other conferences? I am going to submit it again, but I think it's just I've done it so much in the last week and a half that, like, (laughs) I'm I'm bored of it and trying to find new ways to say the same thing, and then I, like, end up stumbling because it's not how I practiced it. But anyway, it was a really great experience. I had a really great time at RailsConf. The organizers were awesome, and it was great. And your talk went very, very well. Yeah, I mean... Entirely different, right? Like, mine was definitely a soft talk on code review and code review culture and, like, basically how to be nice in a code review. And yours was not that. No, mine was a very technical talk about Rails internals and the refactoring process that goes into API design. 
I don't know. I, I like. I think the talk was okay. I'm not, I think like as a talk, objectively, it was a pretty okay talk. But for me, it was a little different because th- that was me getting up on stage and just being like, "Here's the last year of my life. Please don't hate it." <laughs> and the community seemed really excited about the API afterwards, which was which was just very validating of all of the work I've done over the last year. Yeah, it was really cool to see how excited they were about that specific API. Because I remember when you were showing me some slides and stuff beforehand, I was like, "Well." You know, maybe can you tie this back and make it like more generally applicable? Maybe people aren't going to necessarily appreciate the specifics of this API, but might appreciate like how they can apply this. Right. And it turned out that I was mostly wrong because people were really into the specifics of the API and like were excited about getting their hands on it. There were people in the room that were like maintainers of other adapters for um, <laughs> Active Record, which were very interested in what you were saying. Um, yeah, the best question I got was, you, pl- you broke Oracle, please stop in a longer question form. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Our talks both went well, I think. We'll uh, yeah. post notes to those in the show notes. We'll post links to those in the show notes as well. Well, and un- unlike other APIs which were presented at RailsConf, mine's actually like 85% implemented and available in Rails 4.2 privately, and it might break if you try and use it, so I don't recommend it. But then you can also go see the docs because it's all up and available right now in Rails 5 on Rails Master or edgeapi.rubyonrails.org. And we'll link to the documentation for that in the show notes too. Lots of show notes already. Oh, yes. Um, People love show notes. What about you? You got anything coming up? Uh, for conferences? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm speaking at RubyConf in Portugal, which is in September. And they actually, they are big fans of the show, so they have a coupon code that if anybody listening is interested in checking out, you can go register for that, uh, to attend that conference and enter the coupon code, the bike shed, all one word, and get, I think, 10% off. Is that what you said? Yeah, I think it's something like that. Yeah. Uh, And then I'm speaking at Windy City Rails in Chicago the day after. So that'll be fun. The day after the conference or the day after you speak in Portugal? The day after uh, the conference in Portugal ends. All right. And and I can't fly to Chicago directly because that would cost $1,300 more in airfare. So I'll have, for what is all intents and purposes, a six-hour layover in Denver. (laughs) Are you giving the same talk at both of those? Are you giving the Attributes API talk again? I'm giving the Attributes API talk in Chicago, and I don't know what I'm going to talk about in Portugal yet. Hmm. All right. How much time do you have to do that in September, you said? Yeah. Oh, okay. you got time. And it was my first unsolicited conference invitation, so I was really excited. Yeah, it's really cool. If you go to the homepage for the conference, it's pretty cool to see. Like, I looked at it this morning, and it was like, Avdi. Which of these things doesn't belong? <laughs> it was like Avdi, Sean, um, Steve Klabnik, and... Koichi. Yeah, Koichi-san. And like, it's a pretty good lineup to find yourself in. Good, you're keeping good company, so that's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. What have I been working on since I got back from the conference? Same stuff. Service-oriented architecture collapsing. I'm very excited about that. I'm excited. I was super excited to have DHH bring up the topic of service-oriented architectures and actually agree with him. Yeah. And it made me. <laughs> reinvestigate my feelings on the matter and i was like nope nope i still agree uh, <laughs> so i don't know we've just been making progress on that i'm actually winding that project up and uh, re-implemented a good chunk of the core of how they get users to sign up to their website which is kind of this complex wizard um, so i re-implemented that over the course over the course of a couple of months it took did you kill the wizard um there's still a wizard oh <laughs> uh, yeah wizards are hard to kill yeah magic and all that <laughs> There's still a wizard because there's still a ton of steps involved, but or a handful of steps involved anyway. It's unfortunate. But the architecture is a lot better. And then when I was done with that two months worth of work, I got to go and delete a whole bunch of code. 
Nice. And I'm still now, like two weeks after we've merged that, finding more stuff I can delete. And some of it is related to like, oh yeah, we're no, we no longer need these model methods here anymore because we're not calling them in the controllers anymore, that kind of thing. And then some of it is just like the code has atrophied over time and like things that are no longer called no, never got cleaned up. So I'm down to about a week and a half left on this project. And a few days ago, I was like, uh, my goal is to have no pull requests with net lines added. So that's what I'm going for now. I was pretty that's excited because for the first time since I've been on this project, I've been on for a long time. I've been on this project for eight months. And for the first time, I kind of started looking at my graph to see, like, what have I contributed? You can, go, you can go to GitHub and see the contributors graph. And I was pretty excited that in the main app where we do most of the, where I've been doing most of the work for at least the last four, five, six months, I have deleted three times as many lines of code as I've added. So very nice. I think things are going in the right direction that way. Yes. Uh, as long as, as long as you're not achieving them by just like adding ternaries everywhere. <laughs> nope, definitely not adding ternaries. Although it has, now that I'm aware of that statistic, every time I see, oh, this line is too long and I'm like, oh, I gotta break it up. It's gonna cost, it's gonna cost me some ratio. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then also like it, it, it discourages breaking out methods or classes, right? Because every method and every class you pay, well, for every method you pay at least two extra lines and every class you pay at least at least five extra lines. Yeah, I mean, I'm still in the period of cleaning things up for the most part, finding unused stuff and then like, oh, look at all these tests I can now delete because this method is gone. Like, sure. I'm not, I'm not actively avoiding adding code. It just happens to be how I'm working and I'm enjoying it. Yes, best so, way to do it. Yeah, this morning I found like 5,000 more lines. It's like, oh, it's great. It's gone. <laughs> so I guess like my practical advice from that would be like, Every time you make a change to remove a method call or remove something, make sure you're like tracing that all the way through. And the hardest things I feel like to find out if you're still using are assets. Yeah. Like if you're still if you have a lot of JavaScript assets, a lot of image assets, a lot of CSS assets. Right. Particularly particularly if you're using sprockets require tree directive a lot. Right. You're not gonna know necessarily like yep that file's getting required because it's in the subdirectory that you're requiring tree you're you're using require tree on and you can delete it and everything's going to compile fine probably unless there were some mixins defined there or something like that right everything's going to compile fine but you're not going to immediately know if that was being used whereas if you constantly use require even though it's going to be more wordy you'll at least know that like at one point you thought you needed this file from this other file over here and you can check and see if you do anymore that kind of thing. So well, and I suppose it's worse in JavaScript too, right? Because the same argument can be made about Rails and Ruby auto loading, but I guess with JavaScript, it's also more common to have files that only exist for their side effects and don't actually de- declare a class or something exactly. like that. Exactly. Yeah. So like the way I've been doing this in Ruby is just using AG Silver Searcher. Basically, sure. I have that mapped to capital K in my in Vim, and so I just go over the method, hit capital K, and I'm like, oh, it's only used in the tests in here. Okay, delete it. Luckily, I haven't yet hit a bug where, like, oh, we were sending that based on some user input or something like that. <laughs> Calling send based on user right. input. I know, it's, I know it exists idea. there. I know it exists there. But, yeah, that's my argument against it. It's like, well, if that's a problem, then uh, we have bigger problems than this bug I'm about to introduce. Sure. So, yeah, that's what I'm going for. I'm excited to get on to this project. has been really cool. It's been, like, a learning experience. Helped me, like solidify my opinions on service-oriented architecture and and had no more circumstances where they are not a good fit um right. and then also help me with the code review talk like that talk didn't entirely come out of there but it was definitely like again reinforce some ideas that i'd already been thinking about i've been thinking about that talk for like a year and a half or two years now so um 
so that was really good. It's been a great project, but I'm excited to get onto some hopefully greenfield things where I can get back to like playing with some of the stuff we talked about at RailsConf and back to using Postgres and some gems that I've written that I'd like to use and stuff like that. Well, if you if you want, if you want to get back to some C, <laughs> can always use another developer on mine. Get back to some C. I don't I don't oh, know yeah. any C. Oh, you've never done C. I've that's not true. Unless One time, I I think. I wrote some C in college to demonstrate that I could un- I understand understood what a buffer overflow was. So okay. I had to write a buffer overflow and then exploit it at some point in college. Uh, that's the only C I've ever written. Fair enough. And I remember being totally pissed off about that assignment because up until that point, our entire curriculum had curric- curriculum had been done in either Java or like a language that was taught to us specifically to for teaching like some sort of x86 assembly like simulator type stuff or um scheme we learned scheme for a little bit for i can't remember what class that was for but and then it was like now you have to do this thing in c and i was like you never taught me c (laughs) because i I, at that point i didn't realize that like the goal of this is to teach you how to learn these things so you should just be able to pick up c i don't know i think c gets i don't want to say a bad rap but people become too afraid of it it's not that hard like, it, you have to understand pass-by-reference versus pass-by-values. You have to understand what pointers are. You have to understand memory copying semantics. But, like, if you stick to... Oh, and the difference between stack and, stack and heap allocated. But, like, if you stick to stack allocation in general whenever possible, like, memory management's not really that hard of a problem in C. But it's still something you have to remember to do. Although, I guess if you're writing C, like, you're constantly doing it. Well, not not if you're doing stack allocation, because then it just automatically is deallocated when the function call ends. Right. Problem solved. I hope I'm not completely wrong about that, and then going to get tons of <laughs> tweets about like, dude, you've got massive memory leaks everywhere. You're not going to get I'm any tweets. Sure it's just going to be everybody's going to start following your advice because you're that influential, and then <laughs> shit's just going to go to hell. I hope not. Please don't listen to my advice. My advice is terrible. So yeah, you're working on 3D Vision. How's that going, other than all the math stuff we already talked about, which was very obvious to all of us? I mean, it's good. Like, it was two weeks of research and reading, and even aside from how much math we're doing by hand versus not, even if we weren't doing, like, if, 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 if this were all just, like, a prepackaged thing that you could just do, I still think it's important to understand, like, the concepts underlying what you're working on and why, you know, it's like, it'd be like using Active Record without uh, understanding how a database works to do this without understanding the math behind it. So it was a lot of reading and a lot of like slow, painful progress. Things weren't accurate enough. Things weren't like fast enough. But then kind of, I don't know, got through that. And now we're making like a ridiculous pace of progress. And I think we're going to come in like three weeks under under estimate, which will be amazing for an eight-week uh, project. Yeah, and when you originally told me about this project, which we can't talk about, uh, I remember being like, there's no way. Like you're not yeah. going to finish this in time and... I mean, it'll just be MVP. Like, we've got three or four post stuff that we want to do. Yeah, it's always great when you are talking with a client about a deadline and they show willingness to, like, they understand that, oh, the the way to ship this faster isn't just to say, go faster. Right. It's to make compromises on what's going to get done. Right. And we also avoided having too clearly defined of an MVP other than the understanding that it's going to be not all of the features that they want, but then like deciding what we could actually do, we kind of deferred until I had a better understanding of the technologies because I haven't done computer vision before. Yeah, and I've also I've gotten into trouble there when you're like upfront trying to talk about what you think might fit in an MVP 
with a client that on a project that's going to be a month or two months long, right? So you're like, right. uh, we could probably do this, this, and this. And the problem is like, you're not making estimates there, but they're still seeing commitments. Like they're still seeing you say like, oh, well, we can probably get this done in, in two months. Like regardless of how right. much you couch what you're about to say. So well, we should probably stop t- calling this whatever it is that we're talking about here an MVP too. Because like when, the, when, the, when you're discussing what can or can't go into it based on time, then that stops being the MVP, right? That's the what can you accomplish in that time frame. It's the MVP is more or less fixed, and it's the time scale for finishing I, it that's variable. It's never more or less fixed, though, right? Like, you can revisit what you think the MVP is when appropriate, right? And decide well, sure. we can ship a thinner slice than that and still be okay. Like, when the old that, thing means, that means it wasn't minimum anyway. And I think, I suspect that very few apps that we deliver actually were the minimum minimum viable product sure right you know more than that gets in because nobody's really sure what makes something minimum if we were absolutely positive what makes something minimally viable then we'd be a lot better at this i think um that's true it's really hard to know exactly how that's going to go and we we do all sorts of user testing and stuff to try and suss that out but you never know until it hits the market i guess yeah you know, Mar- Marshall Codex, right? That had a fixed deadline. It was a really far off deadline, and that was helpful. But we had a fixed deadline of the there was a big martial arts convention, and that was going to be where they wanted to launch it. And so, like, we couldn't delay it by a week or two if we felt like we needed that, and that kind of sucks. And then this project also has a fixed deadline for a conference that they want to demo it at. It always sucks when there's some other external force that causes a fixed deadline that's outside of your control. Yeah, because you can't at that point you cannot move <laughs> you can't move the timeline at all. And your right. only your only thing is to work harder, which we try really hard not to and by harder I mean longer. Yeah. Um because we always work hard. Or to ship fewer features, to do fewer things, or to cut corners, frankly, um right. in what you'd like to do. And yeah. we try not to hard hard not to do that as well. I've been involved in projects that are the other way though. The project that you and I were on together, I feel like kind of fell under that umbrella and then also one of the other projects i worked on where there wasn't any sort of external force telling us to launch and there were no like budgetary concerns of like we're running out of money so wind this up and launch this and i feel like that's a different problem because it's just like it's never going to be perfect we're well past the minimum viable product like let's start putting this in front of people and i don't really have any good strategies for dealing with that other than to say other than to keep telling people like the only way we're going to know what to do next is if we put a good chunk of people in front of this and start letting them use it so we've had that problem a couple of times particularly on the last project not not as much on the project you and i are on but on the last project i was on we built this um angular front end and a node back end app for reading books online and highlighting them and things like that and we just got so far down with like a very polished design and all these like several features and i just would have really loved to see that see the light of day while i was still working on it sure yeah i mean i think you know, when you're not budget constrained, pretend like you are. Always, always pretend like you're going to run out of money next week. Words to live by. Sure. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I think living by that could lead to bad decisions, but It's sure. like living every day like it's your last. That's a terrible, terrible idea. Yeah, that's a really bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Oh, yeah. Um, just, I thought it was really cool, too. Did you, did you meet the guy from T1D at RailsConf? Yes, I did. Daniel from yes. uh, from T1D. Yep. Yes, Daniel, that's his name. I don't know, I thought it was really cool. Like we so rarely get to see the person who maintains our code bases like a year and a half longer than that. Almost 2 years I think after we finished after we wrapped up on that code base. Right. 
and we didn't with with Daniel we didn't have any overlap time like we handed the right. project off and there were no developers on the other end to take it they were just going to kind of run with the project for a little while and see how it went and then eventually they hired Daniel and so he caught up with both of us at RailsConf and it was really great to talk to him and feel like just I only I only talked to him for a couple of minutes but just to get an idea of how he feels about the app and how he felt about right. the app coming onto it and like how's it been maintaining it because we did lots of like the first episode we did was on Sandy Metz's rules and that was directly from that project right yeah um so it was i was curious to hear how those were going i've actually followed up with him after the conference okay and uh we're working on and i hope there's a long way from being done and a lot of people have to actually look at this and say yep that's fine but what we're working on is like an interview back and forth with him and i um just over email to kind of feel out how his experience has been because like you said we don't we don't get that opportunity a couple years later to talk to the actual developers and see how things are going unless yeah. somebody brings us back in or something like that. Well, and it, it's hard looking at your own code from two years ago and not wanting to burn the thing to the ground. So when somebody else is dealing with the code that you wrote two years ago and doesn't want to murder you the first chance they get, it's a good sign. <laughs> right, that's why they tell you not to put your home address in the code anywhere in any tests. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I was talking to him like today, we were just touching on like, when you came onto the project and you saw all these like short methods and tiny classes and all these different patterns that we were using to avoid having long classes and long methods, like how, how did that work out? And he said, you know, at first it was strange, but he's really liked it and is using the same methodology on some of the Greenfield projects they're doing. So huh. evidently he's that's enjoying cool. it. We haven't gotten to the stuff that he hates about it yet. We'll get there. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the interesting bits. So keep an eye out for that blog post. Hopefully that'll come out sometime whenever we finish chatting. We're taking our time with our emails. What else? I remember what I did this morning. I did something. Oh, I got user-defined markers working this morning. So rather than that one predefined image, like you train it against the thing the camera's looking at. And then I was like, this cube's kind of annoying. I think I should put something more interesting there. I know, I'll do the teapot and that'll just you know be really fast because it's just basic Lambertian reflection and... I know how to do that, and that's easy. And so I wrote out the shaders, and I wrote out the rendering stuff, and then I'm like, okay, cool. So now I just need to load in the, the diffuse texture. I'm like, wait, this is an Android app. How do I get a file in the APK in C? <laughs> and then it was just the entire afternoon was like figuring out how to load in a PNG from Java, get the actual raw, you know, convert that to a bitmap, get the correct pixels, and then pass that information all down to C, so that I could pass that to the GPU. And then I looked up and it was like two and I hadn't eaten. So I'm a little scattered. I'm still thinking about math and rendering. It's hard to it's hard to switch gears, you know, when you're yeah. working on something. Right. Um, I thought of something. Okay. So when I was at RailsConf, one of the talks I saw was from Shander Carney on <laughs> um, accessibility. And um, it was a good talk. We'll link to it in the show notes again. But what it really made me realize is that uh, I've been doing web development for like 15 years and what I know about accessibility is you should have good markup, like semantic markup. Don't use too many divs and, you know, div soup, things like that. Right. Um, have a good heading layout so that like the header light, like H1, H2, that kind of thing. So that, um, things can browse the document that way and, uh, alt, put alt tags on the images, alt tags on the images. I almost forgot that one. Alt tags on the images. I knew that one. And also put label tags on your forms. Mm -hmm. Right. And like the trend seems to be like, Oh, we want placeholders with no labels. And I, I can't stand that for so many reasons. And one of them is accessibility because without a label, there's very little that like a screen reader could tell you about what the input is. But right. beyond like a screen reader, 
once you start typing in that field, like it's easy to be like, what was this field again? <laughs> like, well, and depending on the browser, you don't even have to type. You just click on it. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, oh, what? you tab into it and you're like, I forget what this, hang on, let me shift tab. Okay, tab, start typing. So I really hate that trend. I'd love to see it go away. But if you're going to do it, there are accessible ways to do it or more accessible ways to do it. So I've been kind of spending some of my time like looking into this and like everybody thinks about, Chandra made the point that like everybody, when you think about accessibility, thinks about blind people and screen readers, right? And that is, you know, something you should consider, but there's so much more. Like as I started following some people who are really into accessibility on Twitter, I start seeing people like ranting about how, you know, they have very limited use of their wrists or something. So using a mouse is very painful. So they're tabbing around and they're like, I can't find focused elements because you like so many css resets turn off the border on the focused element for various reasons sure um kind of relying on hover or something like that to be a better indicator but um those aren't equivalent so i don't know i was i was kind of embarrassed to admit that like i don't i've been doing this for a long time and i know absolutely nothing about it so i've been trying to get better like little by little just taking like tiny little chunks like oh okay make sure my focus state is good on my personal blog right that nobody reads but at least i'm learning something little things like that and um i was just made aware that global accessibility awareness today is actually may 21st which as we record is tomorrow but as this episode airs will be like last week but if you're just hearing about this now, then I would say take a look at some accessibility stuff, and I will put a link in the show notes to Chandra's talk, and you can check that out. But I would like to see us all get better, and it's kind of depressing how how little you have to do to be looked at as somebody who's kind of leading the charge right. in this area. You just have to be you just have to be ahead of the curve, right? Right, and when so like that low. If you're looking for an area that you can get involved in and have like a big impact in like open source projects, for instance, like. I'm sure there are accessibility issues in Rails, right? So, like, yeah. Well, we just had a, I think, two months ago, had a pull request that we merged in that like went over all of the guides and all of the docs and added various accessible things, area attributes where they're needed, or are is it area or aria? I don't know. I always say aria. Aria attributes where 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 needed, and made sure that we had proper semantics on everything. But I'm wondering, like specifically, like what about error pages and things like that that Rails that Rails actually renders for you in development mode? Like, are we being kind to developers who need that accessibility there? Like, you can look right. into that. Well, that and you have to. I guess you have to also think a little differently when it's like the development mode error page. Presumably, the person using it will at least have a good use of the keyboard. Sure. But so I mean, let's make sure it's actually fully usable from a keyboard, right? I've used right. a lot of things. It's like, oh, this is really frustrating. I can't tab out anymore. Like I was using a WYSIWYG editor on a website today and I tab through the form and then I tab into the WYSIWYG editor and I hit tab and it inserts a tab for me in the editor. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> I have no option but to use my mouse and like click into the next field, that kind of thing. And it's like, yes, that's an accessibility issue, but it's also just an annoyance for everybody who uses your website. Right. So no, there's definitely. lots of there are lots of things like that that if you start looking into this, you're going to have a better website and also a more accessible website, and also you will be somebody who can make a, a difference pretty quickly. So yeah, that's my. I plug. wonder if like that's the scaffold generator can uh, be improved at all as well. Yeah, I don't know. I don't use it, so I haven't looked at it. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I would assume know. it's pretty bare bones and probably does like the uh, you know I mean it doesn't generate any forms, right? So it does. Oh, it does. Okay. Wow, it's been a long time since I scaffolded any views. And t- tables as well. And we, I think we actually use table tags for everything because we assume all data is tabular. It's awesome. What else? Were there any talks that you really took something away from at RailsConf? I barely got to go to any talks. 
right. I really liked Sandy Metz's talk. Mm-hmm. Surprise, surprise. I really liked yours. I know I went to at least one other talk. What was the other talk I went to besides the keynotes? I don't even remember. I tried to go to a lot of them. I think I got to go to more because my talk was on the first day. Right. So like that was done and then I could go do whatever I wanted except for the day where we spent almost the entire day recording episodes. But I did try to go to more of them and Chandra's was the one that stood out for me. Um, there was a great talk by uh, Justin Searles, which was called Sometimes a Controller is Just a Controller and it had nothing to do with controllers <laughs> <laughs> and more to do with like the culture of your team, things like that. It was a really interesting talk. It was kind of like covered a lot of different things but somehow held together pretty well. So it's a good talk. We'll link to that one as well. And these, like, both of these talks are not rail, like the Chandra's talk, Justin's talk, like, they're not rail specific at all. So, right. They're cool. Yours wasn't rail specific either. No, and it wasn't even really like coding specific or pull That's request true. review specific. It's like, how do you give good written technical feedback, basically? I don't even think the written or technical qualifiers apply. I think it was just how to give feedback. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the stuff I recommend in the talk is a little overboard intentionally for addressing like the negativity bias in written communication, which is something sure. I talk about. Sure. Um, so you have to be a little gentler than usual. Like one of the questions I got afterwards was like somebody came up and was like, why are people so sensitive? And I was like, <laughs> I don't, I, uh, I didn't, I, uh. <laughs> it's like, I didn't make them. I don't like, and that also like, hurts my feelings. Stop calling me so sensitive. <laughs> I was like, oh, I mean, I don't know, but they are, and there's science that tell, that says this, this, and this. So let's try and you know acknowledge that. But yeah, so yeah, mine was extremely, extremely soft talk. <laughs> I don't know. I find like the more time goes on, the more conferences just become like work the entire time. Interesting. For, there were a couple of sessions I would have liked to have gone to, but I would try and go down. I would try and get from like the lunchroom to the end of the hallway on the other floor. And I would get stopped like five or six times to t- because people want to talk about their pull request or ask questions about something about Active Record, you know, do whatever. And then by the time I actually get there, I'm like, crap, there's five minutes left. Well, that's what happens when you're famous. <laughs> For a week. Yeah. I enjoyed like there was a brief period of a few hours after my talk where if I walked somewhere, people would stop me and say something. And I really enjoyed that. There was like one time I remember being like, I was just trying to make my way across the exposition hall or expo hall or whatever they call it where they uh they have like the sponsors exhibiting things exhibit hall that's probably mm-hmm. it um trying to make my way across there and like got stopped five times i'm like i really just need to go talk to this one person really quick before they leave um yeah. but i also as i was thinking that i really enjoyed thinking that because i was like well that means people wanted to talk to me that's pretty right. cool i mean i guess if that were happening to me often maybe that would be annoying like if you were Sometimes I feel bad for like Aaron Patterson, who like we bugged and had on the show, right. but like he's constantly must be constantly getting stopped to talk about things. And, you yeah, know, I maybe mean, he doesn't I, mind. I don't know. I think it eventually just becomes like a fact of life, and it's neither positive nor negative. Hmm. Yeah, I don't uh, know. I really enjoyed it. I would stop me at every conference you see. Stop me on the street, whatever, wherever you see me. It's fine. I'm I'm perfectly willing to say hello. Well, I'm, <laughs> I don't mean to complain either, but. I do think it was funny because uh, I, you, I think we, I was talking to you actually when we disappeared because Aaron and I, uh, Aaron had some Pokemon that only evolve when you trade them, so we wanted to to take care of that before we had to go to the contributors dinner. So we went down to the bar in the lobby and had a beer and traded some Pokemon. And 
Yehonda, the guy who maintains the Oracle adapter, comes out. He's like, hey, what's going on? Mind if I join you guys? And, like, and we're like, yeah, we're, we're trading Pokemon. So we go back to our Pokemon. And then like two minutes later, he's just sitting there and we're all quiet. And they, and they just sitting there and they glance over like, oh, you guys are actually trading Pokemon. I'm like, yes, <laughs> what do you think we were doing? <laughs> Coding on your Nintendo DS. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Synergy. Integrated systems. Turbo Link's action cable. Yeah. Nobody commented on our link to the action cable source. <laughs> which means nobody <laughs> reads the show notes or clicks the show notes. Or just nobody comments after reading the show notes. <laughs> I don't know. Somebody does. Um, Somebody somewhere. We're doing them for that person. Yep. Here's to you, show notes reader. Speaking of show notes... <laughs> Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm slash 16. As always, ratings and reviews on iTunes are much appreciated. If you have feedback on this episode or any other, you can tweet us at underscore bikeshed, or you can email us at hosts at bikeshed.fm. Thanks for listening to the Bike Shed, and we'll see you next time.